When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, December 29th. You know what's better than one podcast for all of you listeners to enjoy this New Year's weekend? How about two editions of the Mini Break for all of you heading towards the end of the year as we still have a few topics to clean up as we wrap up this 2023 offseason. It's worth noting last night was our first night of, dare I say, 2024 specific action with the United Cup getting underway in Australia, but I'm not quite ready to turn my attention to that action. No, we still have a few topics to clean up on here as we wrap up our off-season coverage, and one of those topics is one we hit each and every year the last three off-seasons. That, of course, is offering our predictions for whom the top 10 American men and women might be at the end of the year. And of course, if we're having that conversation, you know who's joining me on the podcast for it. It's our dear friend, author, podcaster, and CR contributor extraordinaire Ben Rothenberg joining me to offer our predictions for the top 10 American men here on this show to end the 2024 season. Now, of course, we get into the weeds. We talk who might the breakthrough players be, who might experience a little bit of regression next season, and, of course, what do we expect the top of the rankings to look like for the American men. We get into all of that and so much more. It is a fantastic conversation that I'm certain all of you listeners to enjoy. So quickly, a shout-out to all of you for tuning in day in, day out. Throughout the course of 2023, we promise the content's only going to get better as we head into into 2024. Also, of course, a shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, though, let's get to it. Predicting 2024's top 10 American men with the one and only Ben Rothenberg. Joining us on the podcast once again today for our second annual predictions of who the top 10 American men and women might be at the end. Third annual predictions he's noting to me. So I'm going to redo this intro. Is it the third? Yeah. It shows you how, how close I pay attention. Look, when you do north of 500 pods a year, um, you lose track of a few. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Joining us on the podcast for our third annual edition of predicting our top 10 American men and women to end the season is a man you all know best as one of the Pied Pipers, one of the dons, dare I say, in tennis journalism we have today. Of course, he is the author of the recently or soon to be released book, Naomi Osaka, her journey to finding her power and her voice. Of course, now you can see his work on Slate.com as well as countless other platforms spread across the internet. He is our podcasting big brother and our dear friend Ben Rothenberg joining us back on the show. Ben, welcome back. It's been a full 13 hours since I've seen your smiling face. I will say the mustache has come along well after one night's rest, but how are you doing, my friend? You ready to predict some American tennis? 
Yeah, the mustache really, I, I hope it doesn't look as dark in person as it does on the Zoom camera, because it's really, <laughs> it's just basically like 36 hours since shaving. So it's just a, it's, it's a blessing and a curse that I can look this uh, uh, avoidable at playgrounds so quickly, let's say. So yeah, looking forward, looking forward to having this gone. And uh, thank you for having me back. It's, it's always a delight to see you. It's a good framework for someone's looks is can they be approachable at a playground without feeling like a criminal? I always like that. That's the litmus test we try to pass here at Cracked Rackets. But here we go. It's an early opportunity for a Twitter poll. Not only can all of you tweet at us whose list you like better, whom's you like worst. You can tweet at Ben Rothenberg, who is back on Twitter. Make sure you tag me at A.L. Gruskin. Should Ben keep the mustache as he heads down to Australia. If we can get a hundred tweets, a hundred tweets at you saying, keep the mustache. Is that a good enough number? Cause we're not going to get a hundred. No, you're not going to get that. So that's fine, but it's not going to happen. All right. I'm not doing that. Not Listeners. You don't have to get me to 100, but give me some pride here. Give me a good showing. Get me at least to 25. Like, I know, again, we're not going to get to 100, but if 25 people tweet at Ben, hey, Ben, keep your mustache. Then we have a bit going. And then again, I could just be smiling moving forward because that's what we really want to do. But of course, why am I smiling here today? It's because you're back for the third annual edition of this podcast. And it is worth noting, we already had you on to talk Americans once this month. We're recording this Friday, December 29th. Happens to be the birthday of our super producer, Daniel Westoff. So as always, a happy birthday to him. Would be impossible to do what we do without him. But we had you earlier in the month to recap. 2023 to offer report cards on each player's 2023 campaign. So, yeah, of course, we'll rehash some parts of last season once again here on today's show to try and accentuate the points we're trying to make in our top 10 list. But more than anything, this is going to be a forward thinking podcast. Again, as we look towards 2024, who do we think the top 10 American men and women will be? And of course, because why? Record one podcast at Crack Rackets when you can make it a two-part episode. We're going to be breaking things down. One podcast will be dedicated to the men. One podcast will be dedicated to the women. The reason we're starting with the men here today is because I'm just too ashamed to look at my top 10 women's predictions right now. And, you know, again, I look at our men's list from last year. I actually think we did a pretty decent job overall, Ben. And I want to start by, again, recapping those last year's list before we get into predicting for 2024. Now, for those of you unaware of who the ultimate top 10 American men shook out to be, here's that list for you. You had 10 top 100 American men. Thus, those are your top 10 Americans. At number 10, Taylor Fritz, or finished 10 in the world, excuse me. Tommy Paul finishes 13 in the world. Tiafo 16, Shelton 17, Corda 24. So five top 25 players. That ain't too shabby. For the record, you and you, Ben, nailed all five of those top five. I got four out of the five, but Shelton was my six. We'll get to who my number five was here in a moment. Again, those were the top five. Pretty unequivocal from start to finish in the season. After that, How about Chris Eubanks, a guy neither of us had on our list? He finished sixth. Now, obviously, it was a breakout year for him. First ATP Tour level title, first Grand Slam quarterfinal. I still see the number 34 next to Chris Eubanks' name, and I'm still a little bit surprised every time I see it, or at least unadjusted to him being this top 40 player, a guy who could be seated at the slams. He finished sixth. 
Mackie McDonald, who neither of us had on our list, but probably should have finished seventh. And I think we both thought he would be a top 100 player, but he was up to number 41. Heck of a year for the former NCAA singles and doubles champion. Speaking of former college standouts, J.J. Wolf, who I had on my list, who you excluded from yours. He finishes eighth. Overall, Marcos Garon, another former NCAA singles champion who both of us excluded. He finished ninth overall. Alex Mickelson, who I'm going to give us both a pass for as he's a 19-year-old who came on so strongly in the summer, makes a Newport final, makes the next-gen finals again, a new face, our final top 100 player in the group. He finishes his year at number 97. So again, of the 10 names we each submitted last year, Ben, I got one, two, three, four, five, six of the top 10 corrected. You got one, two, three, four, five of the top 10 corrected uh, of the top 10 correct. But you got the top five right, albeit in the wrong order. You know, I had those top five as five of my first six, and then I I guess I get the extra name with J.J. Wolf. I'll ask you, as you reflect on the list, A, does it feel bad to know that I kicked your ass? And B, yeah, I didn't. I just wanted to get a reaction out of you. He gave me a face, folks. I wish I could have taken a screenshot of it. I got what I was looking for. But B, what was your, you know, again, the names we both missed. We both had Nakashima. He didn't finish in the top 100. We both had Brooksby. Some things happened to Brett Jensen Brooks. Got banned. Yeah, exactly. From playing the year. Yeah. The other names we missed on Opelka still injured. I'm going to give you a pass for that one. Uh, Isner retirement circuit, whatever. I don't actually knock you for having it there. He played far less than I think we both would have anticipated this year. You also had Cressy. You know, he like Nakashima just really struggled this season. The other names, your Isner is my Jack Sock. Again, two guys on their way. You out. picked Jack Sock. I had him seventh. Yeah. Oh I, God! I told you I was looking at these lists. All right, you picked Opelka. So Opelka know. was Opelka was previously like no. That's Jack Sock was eight in the world. You want to compare career highs? Like I thought. This I want to compare what they, what their momentum was coming to twenty twenty three. Jack Sock had none. Oh, you're wrong. You just hired Nick Monroe, and it felt like we were actually going to get one serious final push out of Jack and. You know, then pickleball came a Colin. So I suppose yeah, maybe one serious final push pop. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, the other name that I didn't mention that I actually feel good about, which is why I win this list, because not only did I have one more name right than you, but the guy who finished as the 11th highest rank American, Michael Moe, who was 105 in the world, he was my 10. So I actually okay. like big picture. I don't feel or about about my list but like the biggest misses for us were Nakashima and Brooksby. And like, again, I don't feel horrible about these men's no. lists. We did fun. We did fun. Uh, I, I'm happy to have had Shelton up high. I almost nearly had him at number three where he landed, but then his challenger points fell off at the end of the year. He was he was at three when he's and then anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I feel good about what I did and looking forward to doing this year's list. Yeah, I'm ready I, to get, get going. You, you gave me some praise last year. This would be my last thing. A year of retrospect review. Sebastian Corda finished. I had him number one as my top yeah. finisher in twenty twenty three. Through the month of January, where he had a match point on Djokovic, where he beats Medvedev, where he beats Hercots on his way to the Australian Open quarterfinal, I actually have no problem with that tank. Uh, that take a year later. No, because no not at I, all. I agree. I could also argue he showed the highest level of any American throughout the course of the season. I believe I made that argument when we offered our report card. So, again, five of six uh, – excuse me. Five of 10 names correct for Ben. I got six of 10 directionally, though, that we both had the top five pretty clearly as our top five, top six players. A shout out to us, Ben. Sometimes we do know what we're talking about. But I mean, again, they're top 100 American men. 
and exiting the 2023 season. Let's just start there superficially before we get into any names specifically. Expectations for American men in 2024. If they just hold status quo, Ben, and we finish the year with five players still inside the top 25, whether it be the same five or maybe one swaps out, someone new comes in. I actually think that would be a pretty solid season for the American men. It means they all consolidated their positions. It means for Shelton, maybe it wasn't big slam results, but he was far more consistent week in, week out. Maybe for a Tommy, you know, who was really good week in, week out, but outside of Australia, maybe left a little meat on the bone at the slams. Like there was a reversal of fortune there. I do think if next season is status quo from a rankings perspective, five top 25, I'd like more than 10 in the top 100, but I guess baseline, what are your expectations for 2024? I think, I think that my, our, our, Predictions certainly mine bear out what this kind of group, what the kind of status is really well. So the top five, I think it's actually pretty clear. And then there's a pretty big gap in the American ladder between five and the rest. Uh, and I know Eubanks is not that far behind the rankings, only 10 spots behind court on the rankings, but it feels like more than that in terms of where we're, where we're thinking their trajectories lie. Uh, and I want to continue seeing guys keep making, making jumps. You know, I'm always, this is always the thing with us. I'm always tougher on, on the U S men and, and have higher expectations and hold them to higher standards than you do. And, and that's just, you know, how we're going to be good cop, bad cop here again. You know, I'd like to see some, you know, more than one guy in the top 10, potentially. I would like to see, uh, you know, someone make it to, to turn directly. I would like to see, you know, uh, a slam finalist. Let's go. Let's get a slam finalist already. It's been it's been eighty four years. <laughs> yeah, it's slam finalist isn't. A, I, I need at least one slam semifinalist, like at a minimum. And I would actually like to see all five of the top twenty five guys make at least one quarterfinal. Like I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation to ask each of those guys quarter. Fritz, Paul, Tiafo, and Shelton, who have all shown they all did this year. They all did this year. You're just you're just you're just you're just not wanting any improvement here. Did they all make quarterfinals? I guess that uh where did Taylor's quarterfinal? US Open, Djokovic. Yeah, and I guess yep. Wimbledon as well. Where did Francis's come? Oh, I guess US Open where he lost to Shelton. Sure, okay. Yeah, yep. yeah, they did make all top 25s. I guess you talked about that dearth of the talent level. Like it's got Nakashima's gotta have a bounce back year. I don't know if we're gonna win or if we're gonna see Brooksby, but like those guys are still young enough that I do want to. Brooksby's on Brooksby's out for the year. Brooksby's yeah, bad. so him we're not gonna see, but like it would be nice to see Nakashima get back in that top 50 group. I also think there are some other young players on the rise who we may see in the list. Some guys, 22, 21, 20. I'm not going to give away the names yet, but you might hear some shots in the dark from me this year. Because to your point, like the era of Dennis Kudla and Stevie Johnson is over. Like and Tennis Sandgren. And like obviously Isner's the most extreme of that Jack Sock. But like those guys who were the 2010s top 100 American men's players, like You've aged out, and I'm sorry, but if any of those five I mentioned, I mean, two of them are retired, but like if Kudla, if Johnson, if Sandgren finishes at a top, as a top 10 American, I actually think that means something went really wrong for this group in 2024, that they didn't take another step forward that I was hoping for them to do. Because as we've kind of alluded to in our report card, it's like the generational shift is on. It's like the Colette Lewis generation, as I like to call them, the original next-gen crew. It's like they're out here now. They are the ones who should be at their best. They should be in their primes. Like it's time. They were actually the, the the Everett Academy generation. If we want to get really nerdy, because all those guys were living together there in Boca for a little bit. Like it's their time to shine. 
I do, first of all, think Colette Lewis is timeless. I don't think there's a generation. I think every, I think everything under the sun is Colette Lewis. And, yes. well said. and, and so I, I will just put that out there. I agree with you on Johnson and, and Sangram, but I do think that, I mean, I, Kuba is not quite as far out of, out of range uh, and, you know, has more potential, I think, of those three guys to sneak a 10th place or something on this list. Uh, but he's not on my top 10. We get to our list. Let's get to our list. We got That's, You got You got places to go. We got to get going here, buddy. Well, then let's get to our list. You want to start at All the right, top or the go. bottom? I feel like we always have this debate. You want to just get you gotta, right you in. Always start, you always start. At the, no, no. That's See, not how lists work. This is why I love you, because there is someone else in my life who's going to remain nameless who always wants to start at the top. And I always say, that's crazy. That's not how lists work. No, and no. so I couldn't agree with you more. Benjamin Rothenberg, the first. Give me number 10 on your list as we head into 2024. My number 10 is Zachary Svida. Oh, it's a great pick. He was in my honorable mentions. Make the case. Yeah. I mean, look, he's just he's just surging. He's uh, ranked 142 now. He's number 15 on the American ladder currently. But he has been a different player since, you know, the fall or so uh, since around the U.S. Open. He qualified the U.S. Open, won a bunch of challengers. Momentum is good. He's obviously had a strong junior pedigree. His brother is also coming up now. We've got multiple Svidas weaving their webs here so uh yeah i i think that it's uh it's a it's just a momentum pick right? he's 21 he's gonna get better uh and some of the people above him i think are gonna slip so i i have Svida getting in at number 10 probably being you know on the low end on the outer range of the top 100 but in just inside top 100 i think could be enough to be number I think it's year. a really I think it's a really good pick by you. And you mentioned the challenger success for him down the home stretch as a guy who won three challengers in at all September or later in twenty twenty three. He wins Carey, beating a rinky Hitchikado, made the fourth run of the US Open. He wins Tiburon. He wins Fairfield. It's also a guy who is a two time USTA Boys 18's Kalamazoo champion. And why does that matter? It means he's been one of the leaders in his peer group for quite some time. By the way, do you know who Zach's fight a beat in his final Kalamazoo final, Ben? There's a little trivia question for you. How closely do you read Colette Lewis? Uh, I'm going to get the mix up. Just tell me. Ben Shelton is the answer of whom he beat in his final match. That is... That's a nice win, by the way. Ben mm-hmm. Shelton, I don't know if you guys know this. He's actually one of the five highest ranked Americans in the world right now. But yeah, 46 and 24. I also think it's like worth noting, not just the challenger success last year, qualified for the U.S. Open. Wins the opening that, set yeah. against Francisco Sarundolo and played really well in that opening set. Like there was more there there than perhaps you might have seen. He also qualified in D.C. I don't know if you were in person for that. He beats Max Purcell round number one there. Does he have the weapons of a Ben Shelton to where you're like, oh, man, this guy could go from, you know, not just outside the top 75 to one of the clearly top 10 Americans, a guy who could go from, you know, maybe even top 25 flirting with the weapons Ben had. I don't think that's Zach quite yet. But the focus, you know, again, the the point in, point out consistency, the limited holes in his game. I think he is a top 100 player. So I have no issues with him included at number 10 on your list. And again, a guy who made a big rankings jump. He's 142 in the world. Sorry for he really doesn't have shit to defend like until I don't know. Until the fall, a lot of challenger yeah, points. Yeah. yeah, like really nothing. He was playing 25Ks in January of last year. That is yeah. not going to be the case here in 2024. It's a good pick by you for number 10. Now, it is worth noting, I want you all listeners to know, I had 18 guys in consideration for my top 10 list. You know we're going to get into the honorable mentions at the end there, Ben. But I think we're going to finish with 15 top 100 players in 2024 wow, okay. from an American men's tennis standpoint. And It's a big uptick. 
was yeah, from 10 to 15. And it was really difficult for me to try to figure out who my number 10 guy is going to be, who I wanted to take a swing with. I ultimately went with a guy who didn't even come on as strong as Svita did at the end of the season, but a guy who has been in the intelligentsia circles you and I run in, a name that just has been floating on the horizon. Of course, it always helps when your father is a former professional player. And, you know, what are the two words every tennis coach wants to hear in thinking about coaching a player moving forward? Paul Lefty. That's exactly what we've got in American Martin Dom, the 20-year-old current number 257 in the world. And look, this is a big swing. I'm going to be honest. Some of the guys I'm going to leave out here, like Alex Kovacevic is a better player than Martin Dom right now. I also think Emilio Nava has as big of weapons and is a better player than Martin Dom right now. But right now is the operative phrasing there. And to see him have the success he did down the season's home stretch, he played a bunch of different challengers, made uh, four different quarterfinals or further for the first time in his career at the challenger level, first semifinal at the challenger level in Bratislava, where he beat your boy, Max Cressy. Tall lefty. Like, give me the tall lefty. And let's just fear. Didn't we do that last season with a tall lefty by the name of Ben Shelton? And I'm not saying it's going to be Shelton-esque. But I just see a world where, again, this is a guy who was playing futures for the majority of last season, got a whiff of the challenger level, started having success. Now there's just going to be a runway for him to put on some points pretty quickly onto his resume. It's a swing in the dark. But what do you think about it, Ben? I, I like it. I think personally, I think you're a year early for putting yeah. him in a top 10. I mean, he's, got, he's at 23 right now. So that's a major leap to get into the top 10 on the American ladder uh, to get into the top 10. From there, the raw game is there. I just think you're – I like the enthusiasm, and I know I know you like it because you had me reevaluate him on the report card despite him being mm-hmm. outside the top 250. I was like, well, this is a deep cut here. We're getting Martin Dam content. But, uh, but yeah, but I, I think I think you're a year early, but the fundamentals are there. Yeah, and I'd rather be a year early than a year late, I guess, is always sure. my thing. It's just sure. I don't want to miss it before it happens. You have some fun with the number 10 pick. I mean, That's honestly. That's what I'm like, saying. Yeah, like, yeah. what, do you want me to say Giron? Like, come on. You didn't come <laughs> wow. here. I, no. Wow. First of wow. all, Marcos is my Can boy. I, can I just tell you my number nine is Marcos Giron? Yes. <laughs> well, I meant like it would have been too boring to put him at 10. It's more interesting to have him at nine. Also, I, is it, is it? I don't know about that. I'd like know to that. say this story again, though, real quickly, because I do feel bad taking a shot at Marcos. That's my boy. Um, Cincinnati, 2022. Press person was not being particularly kind to me, was being actually the biggest asshole. And like was like, who are you? Like, you think you have a place here? Like what? Like we're going to allow you to. Like, because I kept requesting interviews because if I don't request them, I'm not going to get them. So I kept requesting them. Finally, I got a yes in Marcos Garon. And when I say that guy, I was like, all right, you have three minutes to work with him. And I'm going to give you a look. And when I say you're done, you're done. I was like, all right, dude, whatever. Marcos Garon walks out for the interview. This ATP guy is monitoring me like a hawk. He goes, Gruskin, my man, what's up? Gives me a hug, like all of it. When I say the ATP guy had a look like, oh, my God, I am an asshole. Like, I cannot believe I treated this guy so poorly. Like, shout out to Marcos, who had my back from the beginning. Make his case for number nine. He's solid. He's number nine now. and I just have him holding. And he's actually very ha- far ahead on the rankings at number 10. Uh, he's at 60 and number 10 is at 97 right now. So he's a top 60 player. He's just very solid. And I think that, yeah, I think if he holds range somewhere between 50 and 70 next year, which I think he will. I, I think that he is staying around number nine. I, I just basically, that's basically sort of my looking at him and, and seeing math. I think he's been pretty solid as a really clear worker, 
not a lot of injury concerns with Euron historically. He's obviously turning 31 next year, so he's getting older. But yeah, I just think he has another good year, solid year of being that kind of level player. Uh, and and you know, he's not he's just solid. He's not someone who's a pushover easy. He can make a you know a run to I could see him making like a sec, a fourth round at a slam potentially if things break his way. He's he's just a solid, likable player on, on court. Quick correction there he actually had many injury issues early in his career had the double hip replacement no, but, surgery i know but now, recently i'm just no, saying but, yeah, but that's a good streak of so that. yeah to your point last three years year-end ranking 73 66 61 like by the way you know what that qualifies for ben he's in that atp pension zone baby he's gonna be making that money um yeah. do i think he will have a fourth consecutive season of growth in the rankings i do not I took a shot at Marco Skirone. I want to be completely clear, Ben. He's my number nine guy as well. Like there it's not as though I uh it's not as though I am selling short on him either. I like I'm a like he's just very good. He's got the quadzillas, obviously, as well. And you know, just inherently fitness-wise, he's gonna be in the fight, match in, match out. He's gonna sneak that on the run forehand by you. Again, his statistics have been pretty level over the course of the past three seasons, but that speaks to his stats have been pretty level over the course of the past three seasons. Like you know you're gonna get three to four tour level quarterfinals out of Marcos. You're gonna get wins at a major, you know, or at least I don't know. He's going to get at least two wins at the majors, I would say, every season, which is enough certainly to keep you in that top 100 mix. Now, again, there might be some slight regression. It wouldn't shock me if he finishes outside the top 60. I don't expect him to make a top 50 push next year. But, yeah, for a guy who had double hip replacement surgery to put together the career he's had to be in the pension zone, it speaks to what he's accomplished so far uh, through his career. So he's actually my number nine as well, who you got at eight. I have Brandon Nakashima at number eight. Okay, and I like this. I, I look his just his 2023 was just bad, and and it was one of the kind of low key under the radar stories of of the season, honestly, because for someone, he was the person who had the worst season following a next gen uh, championship run at the next gen event for the ATP. And, you know, he had solid results in 2022. He made that Wimbledon run to the fourth round, lost to Kyrgios there uh, on Kyrgios' way to the final. I just think he's I just think he's better. I think he's someone who doesn't who's just not kind of not very hyped considering what he's done. He's he's kind of off the radar in this interesting way. But look, I think that he's he's currently at 14 on the radar. I expect on sorry, on the ladder, American ladder. Uh I expect him to bounce back into being a top uh 70, let's say conservatively player and and being in this mix. I so I have him landing around 50 probably in the rankings, which for me is is around number 8 in the American ladder. I got no issue with it. Like, I mean, again, is he on your list? Well, he, so he is on my list. He's number seven okay. on my list. We're okay. gonna get to him. Oh, I mean, we can just get to him. Let's now. talk about him now. Yeah, yeah. I was just say why. As I, I want you to know, as it was coming out of my mouth, I realized it was stupid to say. As it happens from time to time. You must think that show. constantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I must think that constantly. <laughs> I wrote a book that was four hundred thirty pages, so I'm really smart. I'm Ben Rothenberg, Naomi Osaka, a journey <laughs> to finding her power and her voice. Pick it up wherever you read your books now. Um, Pre-order already. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm not doing the radio. I'm not doing the radio bit now. I also wish maybe I'll have him do it. My former college roommate, dear friend, Michael Azaparty, does an impression of me. You would die. Like he just goes, oh, shut the fuck up. And he just starts going into it. It is really, really funny. And anyways, he always goes like two octaves higher. I'm like, dude, my voice isn't that high. And he's like, dude, it kind of is. Um, anyways, um, 
I just refuse to accept like last year, I think is an outlier from Brandon yeah. Nakashima. I refuse to accept that as a, the rule because this is a guy who was a top 10 junior in the world. This is a guy who walked onto the college tennis scene and was one of the best 15 players in college tennis. This is a guy who then walked onto the ATP challenger tour quickly jumped up the ranks into top 100 status. A guy who, to your point was a next gen finals champion, a guy who won a San Diego title beating Marcos Giron, who we just discussed last year. And a guy who, even though it felt like the bottom fell out from underneath him last season, still finished 134 in the rankings, in particular for him to go semifinal final at his last two events of the year, albeit both challenger events. Just talk about steadying the ship a little bit to end last season. And again, he's going to have to start out at the challenger level. There's no doubt about it. Even though he's a next-gen finals champion, it's hard to imagine Brandon Nakashima getting a wave of wild cards into main draw events. Like maybe he gets one into Dallas, the 250 event, because Grant Chen's the homie and like loves college tennis and will for sure be handing out wild cards to college tennis players if possible. Yeah, like Indian Wells, Miami, again, he won main draw matches at both of those events. He's not going to get into the main draw there. That said, he has only three wins to defend until a Lyon semifinal. In, on uh, from the middle of May last season, like a guy who just should make a clear catapult up the rankings and a guy who coming out of last season, you just you were wondering, what are the vulnerabilities? Like, what are the holes in his game? I don't see any. Do you? And so I just think the upside is a little bit higher than Giron. The upside is a little bit higher than the guy I have number eight on my list, who I imagine is going to be seven or six on yours. Mackie McDonald, who, again, another guy I think will consolidate his spot in this upper echelon as he is in the prime of his career uh, of the ATP singles rankings. I just think Nakashima's upside's a little bit higher because it's a little bit easier for him to reproduce his pace, reproduce his game style across surfaces. Mackie always going to be on his best on a quicker, hardcore surface, and Mackie's just not as good. He's never shown to be as good as Clay, even though Brandon's not great on the dirt. You know, Mackie just a little bit worse on that surface, and it's just it never really came around for Mackie, even though, again, he has clearly proven he's one of the 50 best hardcore players in the world, and I think you and I both knew that from the moment even before we saw him play that fantastic Nishikori match at the City Open together, one of those rare, rare moments where we were able to sit next to each other, hold hands, and enjoy a match together side by side. <laughs> um, you know, again, listeners, well, in case you're curious. What a visual. But, yeah, exactly what we were doing in that moment. But Mackie's my number eight. Finishes at 41 in the world, career high 37. Again, came on really strong at the end of the season. Quarterfinals in Canada, probably the signature result, but a semifinal in uh Delray Beach semifinal in Eastbourne for him throughout the course of the season as well. Why I have Mackie a little bit lower than Nakashima is he just has a lot of points to defend everywhere. Like he's going to have to sustain his top 50 level, at least until he gets to the clay court portion of the season where he went on an eight match losing streak last year. Um, yeah, Mackie's my number eight. Is he seven for you? I don't have Mackie. Oh, I, I had to make some cuts, look to put some people in here. And Mackie, I just looked at it being 41 in the rankings right now, which is incredible. And being like, I I don't see a person sustaining this altitude. I don't know how real the dip is going to be. But bluntly, I just had had I wanted to put some new names in here. I wanted to put in Svide. I wanted to put in one other name who I didn't have last time, uh, who's still to come. And I just had to make some cuts. So I don't have I don't have Mackie. And it's nothing really personal against him. It just hasn't been he's been up and down in his career. And I was thinking Maybe we're on the on a down. I don't know, but I don't have Mackie. But nothing, nothing too, nothing too serious beyond behind dropping him. He has proven he's one of the ten, uh, 10 best returners. He's one of the twenty best returners I think we have on tour, and his yeah. ability to just make perfect contact on that return of serve. The contact points are so beautiful. I always say, 
him and Ray Sarmiento are the two closest things we will ever see. Ray to Sarmiento. The, the two closest things we'll ever see to the Roger Federer forehand reproduced by a mortal because just that contact point, how they go out and get the ball. And just, again, Mackey's an elite athlete. He is the definition. When you look up twitchiness in the dictionary, you're going to see Mackey's photo because, God, the guy is just a fluid athlete and fellow 1995er. So shout out to us, Mackey. You're always going to be on my list until there's, unless we have 10. Top 25 Americans someday. Then maybe I see you dropping out because to your point, the pace on the serve, he can be overwhelmed by power. Like you're right. And again, the clay court results. Like if you can't be serviceable on clay, your upside is only so high. So he's my number eight. Nakashima is my number seven. Who's your number seven? My number seven is someone I did not have on my top 10 last time, but should have clearly. JJ is Wolf. Chris, Chris Eubanks. It's my number seven. And he is number six right now, so not a huge slip for him to get to seven. But I think this for me, you talk about you talk about me being generous to someone with how much he spiked. You're more generous, greater than than I am sure. uh, meant to say. But with how much Chris Eubanks spiked, anything that keeps him in the top fifty next year is a great year for him because just his results were so off the charts good in 2023 that a little bit of coming back down to a little bit of gravity. I think it's inevitable. Um, but yeah, but I think that look, I. I loved him on grass. I would like to see him continue to play really world-class tennis on fast surfaces. His clay results weren't even that bad. I mean, like he played uh, Holger Runa. I think it was really pretty solid in the first round of French Open this past year. Yeah, I, I just think that he's uh, he's got his upside is big. And if he can get some flashes and put up some big points and a few distinct, distinct runs, distinct runs rather, uh, in a couple of big tournaments, that could be enough to keep him around the top 50. And Number seven, but the, I, again, that's all, only very slight different where he is in the ladder, and I just think that he's a a good player, and so I want to see him in there. He was my last cut, and mm. in reality, I was going to put him at ten instead of Martin Dom. I want to be abundantly clear here. I just but ten is for having ten is for having fun. Ten is for having fun. exactly, and so like he was my first cut. If you are asking me, does Chris Eubanks finish the year in the top 100? My answer would be yes. If you are asking me, does Chris Eubanks finish the year ranked as high as he has ranked this past season? My answer would be no. And it's because, look, we got to see the flash of the pan. We got to see him on an optimal surface, grass courts, hard courts over the North American summer. What's he going to look like at the tour level on clay? And can he duplicate his success now that there will be a little bit more expectation, now that there will be a little bit more film studying probably done on the serve locations he likes to hit, on the return locations you got to pop him to, not just, again, you think, oh, I'm going to keep serving to the backhand, keep serving to the one-handed backhand. Actually, if you can jam him with pace on that forehand return, sometimes he can get a little bit slap happy. I love Chris, and I'm devastated because it's one less tennis channel job for me to compete with moving forward. He's going to have it now. Move, you know, just <laughs> that Wimbledon quarterfinal, that ATP title, you can lock in. Chris Eubanks will have a 25-year career at least commentating for tennis channel moving forward. I have no or objection. ESPN, too. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah. he should be – He should his, his, his booth career should be secure. I have no objections to you including him at seven. And honestly, once I cut him from 10, I had a decision. Was I going to go with Chris Eubanks at the number six spot and be really plain and just say the top six retain their positions from last year? Or was I going to swap him out with a different college guy? I swapped him out with a different college guy. The American man we don't talk about ever as a tennis populist, a guy who just like quietly now has consolidated a spot in the top 75 is J.J. Wolf. 
who's number six on my list, Ben, and finishes his year number 53 overall, 26 and 25 overall at the tour level last year. That's a career high in wins. And again, came across surfaces. He did get a full clay court season where he was able to win a couple of matches in Rome, win a match in Geneva, quarterfinals in Houston. I don't know if an American clay court event counts, but at least it's something. More importantly, you look for JJ last year, five different quarterfinals came on every possible surface. Grass, clay, indoor, outdoor hard courts. His surface forehand just keep him in the game. And I know it's very 2000s-esque American men's tennis, but like, keep in mind, he's a 20, uh, he's a 98er. Like, he just turned 25 eight days mm-hmm. ago. And I still wonder if we've seen him hit his ceiling because he does have that elite weaponry. When he's hitting that slider down the tee on the ad side, following it up with the plus one forehand, if you've ever seen him in person, he is a sound test passes with flying colors. Like, I do think we could see him. I I expect to see him sustain this ranking. And I just think from a floor perspective, again, it's very like serve forehand combinations. It's kind of a similar argument as Eubanks. I guess I just trust Wolf to do it more successfully across surfaces because I have seen him do it a little bit more frequently than I have, Chris. Yeah, I can't argue with much of what you said. Honestly, I left Wolf off my list because I wanted to take someone else. But there was another name I wanted to put on here. And and Wolf, I think, you know, he had a really good start to the year. He made what fourth round in Australia with that long, big, important match against Ben Shelton in, in high sense or whatever they call it. John Kane now. I yeah, he's solid. He should be he should be someone top 100 for a few year, more years, at least. I don't know how much higher he goes than what he is. And I just have him. Yeah. Dipping below, I guess, Svita against Svita is sort of the, the fun pick at number 10 for me. So. Yeah, I I don't have I don't have Wolf, but I also can't knock him too huge without thinking. I don't think he's. I mean, his career high is thirty nine. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to get much. I don't see him getting much above that. But it would. But it also could just be, you know, if he gets more good draws, and we'll just see how the whole tour shakes out. That's the thing. It's, so much luck is involved in whether or not you can make runs. And Wolf is someone who, I don't think he beat anybody on a given day, but I think can can beat a lot of people um when playing well so it just it just comes down to luck i just i have him slightly outside but he's certainly yeah if i had i could have easily had him at, at eight nine or ten i think there's gonna be one year where he has a massive north american summer where he does really well in dc really w- well in toronto really well in cincinnati hopefully you know two of those threes he kills and then makes a second week at a u.s open run and i think that's what would get him into the top 35 and exceeding his career high someday but i mean i guess just quickly here because we have had two names we've disagreed on do you think both Wolf and Mackey end the year in the top 100? Again, I'll say, I'll say yes. I mean, if I had to pick on each of them individually, I just kind of had to, you know, it's not no, no, exact no. science. Well, the reason I bring yeah. that up is yeah. not to be an indictment on either of them. It's to speak to if that's the case, 12 top 100 Americans, which would be an improvement on last. Potentially, season. yeah. Look, I think, I think, I think 12. You said you said you're hoping for 15. I think 12, 13 is very much on the table. Okay. A couple, I have a couple honorable mentions who could sneak in there as well. Yeah. Uh, my um, number six just. Yeah, I like to hear. I was gonna say, who is it then? Because I know who your top five are gonna be in some order. My top five is the same. So, so do you want to guess? You want to guess who my six is? Well, I have a list of names here, and I'm gonna go through who it's not. Yes, you don't have this guy, which is it's not Emilio Nava. Although could Milo Nava is my Nava was my number eleven. I have okay. him at, my little seven eleven. I am a big Nava fan because I watched him I, play junior final. Against, I literally uh, knew, I knew here it comes. I was like, I know you have a junior story with Emilio Nava that has yeah. you like buying his stock, and so that was going to be a guess. You're not going to buy the Cressy stock yet. 
You're not going to buy the Kova stock yet. You probably Kova's haven't 12 watched, for me on my list. Yeah, yeah, my other honorable mention. Yeah. I don't know if you've watched a Patrick Kipson match, although let the record show there is a text in my phone from Ben Rothenberg saying, hey, if we're going to talk Patrick Kipson, tell me so I can watch some Kipson films. So don't think Ben doesn't do his homework <laughs> before these podcasts. You're going to go Riley Opelka at six. It's the only possible name here. Ooh, that's actually a great pick. Uh, that's a better pick than what I have, maybe. I have someone we well, yeah, mentioned, yeah, I'm surprised. Is I have uh, Mr. Mickelson. Ooh! And who's number 10 currently, so he's already in the top 10. We have, I don't know who said his name on this show yet. He played Next Gen. I, that's optimistic, but he's kind of, for me, filling a bit of a Brooksby role. That Brooksby's sure. not in this mix anymore, and he's just like a shot maker, Mickelson. Uh I've, I've watched him a couple of times, been impressed with him. And I think that he could just catch people off guard. I think this is going to be a good sort of, he's in the, a few main draws this year. There's not going to be a lot of scouting report out on Mickelson. And I think that he can, he can make some noise and I like his, his game. And maybe that's a little premature to have him already this close, you know, number six when I mean, the year he's turned 20, but look, he's already top hundred as a teenager. That's less legit. And I think, I think highly of him. I'm curious why you don't have him on your list. I don't have him on my list because I forgot my list and I did it. I forgot him off my list and I didn't in a rush. <laughs> so we're making a mid podcast adjustment. Oh, wow. Wow. Martin Dom. Wow. I love you. Tens is for S's and G's. I made this joke earlier. Marcos Giron. Congratulations. You're my number 10 now. Um, and so you're actually very interesting. I'm going to move Mickelson to seven. I was just wrong. I just wow, was. that's a big swing. Big swing. Okay. No, I. you're absolutely okay. right. And now, why do I have him one? Oh, hold on. Sorry. Let's see. if zoom. Your Zoom audio sounds good for what it's worth. Yeah, perfect. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I figured it would. It's just frustrating for him. I just, again, I feel bad. Anyways, um, three. Why I should not have forgotten Mickelson and why I have him up to number seven here is like, I have no questions about his tennis. Like it reminds me of a young Taylor Fritz where you're just like how soft his hands are. And then like how bad he is as a mover right now. Like there are times when he looks like a baby seal out there, like just kind of learning how seal. to use his legs. If you never heard that expression, I was a baby giraffe or something. Seals okay, barely have legs. Yeah. Well, Seals baby giraffe works legs. as well. Anyways, the point is fine. We'll go with baby giraffe. Oh, I'm Ben Rothenberg. I, I wrote a I book. I'm had... so smart with my anatomy. I know what animals have legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's good. Anyways, like, my only questions about him aren't actually the tennis. My questions are about him physically. Top I mean, the best he could move in against, honestly, Ben Shelton. Five of 13 men to rank top 25 in both holding weekend game of, and also, you know, being a, a pretty solid poor player, you know, kind of a, a middle of the top 100 kind of guy is is something that I think is kind of good ethos for him to have there. And, you know, it's me interesting how he reacts to the, the fame and the attention because he was getting a lot by certainly U.S. Open time yeah. uh, last year. How he relates to that, but I think that he just has this sort of the swagger and the big punches that I sort of look for in a in a champ. I don't see him getting getting bogged down by self doubt, which is such a common thing to have as a sophomore season. So I have him, I have him not getting the sophomore slump and having him finish, you know, ten ish, and you know, somewhere between let's say nine and fourteen in the rankings uh, this year. Yeah, if you don't believe in that upside, I'm going to hang up the phone on you, much like he did during his celebrations at the U.S. Open. This guy got a joke. Cool reference. Happy. Cool reference. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. yeah. Every yeah, so yeah. often for the kids, you may tell me about the Riz, but I'll tell you about the phone. Hang up, Ben. That's a callback to our podcast we did yesterday. Again, why did I forget Mickelson on my list, Ben? It's because I've recorded three podcasts since we recorded our podcast. Oh, my God. Night. So, hey, you, you shoot for over 500 a year. Sometimes you're going to have the busy recording schedules. Anyways. Yeah, I got no problem with Shelton at two on your list. Again, All no right. problem with any permutation of the top five. Who's your four? 
My four is Taylor Harry Fritz. Benjamin Ulysses Rothenberg, we have agreement for the first time. Make the case. Yeah. I just think that Taylor is not again, this is why I have him in the top five. This thing is still top five guy. Still think, still think it's a top 20 guy. But I just have I still don't think he has it at the Grand Slams. Right. And that's what's going to differentiate on some level these players. And his Grand Slam track record is just really poor. But for someone of his results otherwise, right? And he's made two quarterfinals and both of them were extremely easy draws. If you look at his draws on those two quarterfinal runs, the US the US Open quarterfinal run this year. I think it's the toughest match was like Stricker or something. And then his uh US his Wimbledon run, I think he played Kubler in the fourth round or something. Just like some soft, soft draws. Look, he's ambitious and and he's and he's again liking the attention and, and sort of made a profile for himself as being a the pretty long time holder at this point of the US number one. He's been a US number one for a long time on the men's side. I I just think that he's not as good as the people ahead of him is is bluntly what it comes down to on this ladder. And you know, he can be for me, he can hang around maybe 15, 17 kind of in the rankings, which is a bit of a down year for him. But I, I want to see him uh prove that he can be better than that. And I just yeah. think the other guys are, are better. Yeah, I, um, I think that's a fair argument to make. And, you know, again, I also just think we know who Taylor Fritz is. Like he has very been very much the same player now for these last three years. And he's clearly a top 15 guy, clearly maybe even a top 12 guy if you want to go step up from that. I mean, again, he's also going to put in the matches. He'll play Atlanta. He'll play Dallas. He'll play Houston. He'll play Delray. He'll play those 250s because Taylor Fritz wants to go play tennis. Like, that's what he loves above all else. If we learned anything about him in Breakpoint, his whole life is geared towards maximizing his potential. And I think in a lot of places he's done that. Like, he is so much better at movement than I thought he would be five years ago now. And clearly having Michael Russell in the camp, like, the fluidity is now there. He hasn't learned to volley. In the seven years we've seen him at this level and just like, again, with a guy with his weapons, you feel like if there was just any sort of natural volley instinct there, that is the last gear for him to get to. And I do think he's gotten better at acknowledging when do I need to move forward? What I should be hitting a volley here. It's just like you can only watch a man float backhand volley so many times before you say, OK, that's your backhand volley. You like to float that side. And it just again, we're talking about the thinnest margins here. We are at the top of the rankings. We are talking about top 15 players He's my number four as well. I got no issue with that there. By the way, I, I because I screwed up the Mickelson part, we actually agree on Nakashima and Taylor Fritz. I think we're going to agree on our number one as well. Can I guess because my three is Tiafo is your number three, Tommy Paul? That's correct. That means we are going to agree on our top. Let's talk about Tommy Paul briefly then. Yeah, he's and my then, number two, by the way. So yeah. um, we're not that far off. Uh, what is the case in your mind for him sustaining the level a level by the way he's 13 in the world career high 41 tour level wins last season his last two years he's gone 39 and 27 and 41 and 27 the big difference this year obviously being he made an australian open semifinal, a u.s open round of 16 for me why he's number two on this list is i saw the carlos alcaraz matches and i saw yeah. his ability again he is a ptp to quote dick vitale a prime time performer the better the alcaraz the better in my opinion uh, the better the alcaraz the better the opponent across the net the better the uh tommy paul in my opinion that's my case for him being number two is as good as he's been these last two years i still don't feel like we've seen the best version of him what has you so encouraged about him moving forward 
I underestimated him last time and he he definitely I had him I think at four or five or something in my yeah. last year's list and and he he and he surpassed that like I, I think that he's just very solid I think he has this sort of professionalism and consistency about him that that's pretty cool and not sort of honestly the typical American model he's almost like cuts more of a perennial boost to figure on tour at certain points in in his in his just way of being a bankable guy who you think it's gonna live up to his seat and, and play well that's largely my, my experience and process of him uh, this past season. And yeah, I think he can keep that up. I, do I think he's going to defend his Australian Open semi? Probably not. But he is going to be someone who's there, yeah, week in, week out, contending and and hopefully staying healthy. And yeah, if he does that, I think he can be pretty much holding level where he is. He's 13 in the rankings right now. He can be somewhere between, again, 9 and 13 uh, there. Yeah, I, I, I have no issue with that. And again, like it is funny because we've talked about this before. On the one end, you have this Francis Tiafo, whose technique is always going to look a little bit funky on the forehand side. Even his backhand, it's almost like a shovel more than anything else. The serve with the little windup before he explodes through it. Of course, then he throws in the slices, the touch. It's like that's the one end of the spectrum where it's au naturel. Then you've got the Taylor Fritz where it's just the technique is flawless, the contact point. It feels like it's something we have seen throughout the course of tennis history. Tommy Paul is that middle bridge. I've always said where it's like he can kind of dip into both camps where he has that elite spriginess, that elite fluidity. But then also he's got some technique that looks pretty nice. Like, again, how when he explodes through that forehand and it has just become so much more proficient as a weapon for him over these last few seasons. Tommy Paul's a guy who can do a little bit of everything on a tennis court. And he can do that everything on all four surfaces as well. Play, grass, indoor, outdoor, hard courts. Like, is there a window for him to finish next season in the ATP Tour Finals race? I honestly think maybe. Like, I think that's his. I I wonder if he's going to have a top eight season ever. It feels like next year could be the year. If it wasn't for his points being so front loaded in Australia, I would also think he would have to at least at some point cameo at US number one, which has never gotten to. Mm-hmm. And he, but he's he kind of deserves it. If Taylor gives him any daylight, he he could get there. And he obviously has, yeah the points. I just explained is why it's gonna be tough. But Taylor's a lot of points for United Cup, so yeah. we'll see how it how it shakes out. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So we so we agree on number one. What's interesting about number one is that I had him at number one uh, last year. No, sorry, two no, years ago. I two had years ago. I, last year. I had him at number one two years ago when we, the first annual. And you yeah. had him at number one last year, and he's never really come close to actually fulfilling this promise. But we keep betting on him. Yeah, it's which is interesting. Well, well, the thing about Sebastian Corda is he hasn't been healthy. He's never been healthy. For a, I know, but, should, are, but are we being naive to think this is going to change? I don't know. I'm just no, putting that, it out there saying we've been, the we've been burned year. before, and we keep going for it. This is the last year he gets that benefit of the doubt because Ben's a coming, and again, these guys, Tiafo, Fritz, Paul, they're very clearly top fifteen players now, and so. You know, you weren't so sure that that was going to be the floor for those three older next-gen Americans uh, coming into last season. We kind of know now that we've seen them consolidate those positions for a couple of years here. And yet, I'll go back to it for the 90 millionth time. I'll say it this month. Sebastian Corda's month of January was the best month we saw out of any American man last season. And there are times, and I'm sorry I'm going to evoke he who should not be named, Lord Voldemort, but it goes Djokovic, Zverev, Corda. That's the backhand rankings. Like, it's very clear in my head. Like, those are the three people. And then, by the way, Nishesh Basavaretti of Stanford is four, an American, so I can mention him <laughs> here. Those are the list of backhands. Like, that's it. No, I'm telling you, Milan Hurian played 14-year-old Nishesh Basavaretti, a former Le Petit AS champion, and three games in, he goes, dude, I think I'm playing Djokovic. Like, this is a problem. Milan was 23 at the time. Again, Nishesh was 14, and it was actually like, yeah, dude, that technique looks pretty similar. Um, anyway. Anyways, 
Porter's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the serve. And then he just gave us a little tease, a little tickle at the end of last season with the success <laughs> that he was able to have, Ben. You know, just, again, you want to throw out the Winston-Salem result. That's fine with me. But semifinals there. Then he goes semifinals Zhuhai, finals Astana, semifinals Shanghai where he beats Medvedev again as well as wins over Sarundalo and Shelton. Yeah. Like, he's just put a by this guy that maybe you could yeah. finally push him over the edge rather than just one. We both have Sebi Korda. Well said. Again, I think as we look across the board, um, it's going to be fascinating to just see if he gets healthy because he was playing top 15, maybe even top 10 tennis in January, February of 2022 before injuries derailed his season. And so he's on the list, one we will all be following as well. But it's a good list. Like, I feel like we've got at least five top 25 players. I feel like we've got maybe 10, even top 50 players as we look towards next season, or certainly this little half decade, five year run that we may be on with this original next gen crew. And then some of the younger pieces that have come along as well. But Ben, those are our top 10 American men's predictions. Any final thoughts on the American men? You said it slam final or else, regardless of anything else, it's a disappointing year for you. Yeah. Okay. Only, yeah. Look, look, these guys talk, have talked a big talk about wanting to, to bring it back to the glory days, and let's do it. I we're, not get, we're not getting any younger. Let me say this. What if multiple of them win 1,000-level titles? Then is it still a success? Like, what if you get, like, a, a Shelton Corda both have, like, a massive sunshine swing? Yeah, we can talk about alternate options, yeah. but but I think oh, slam, okay. slam final is the clearest is the clearest hurdle, and the slams won't matter. All right, I like to. I'm just trying to frustrate my parents just a little bit longer when they're like, "Really, you're asking him about a sunshine swing double?" First of all, if I asked my dad what's the sunshine <laughs> swing, he'd be like, "I don't know, orange bowl and outback bowl, the sunshine swing," and I'd be like, "No, no, no, it's Indian Wells, Miami." Anyways, that's predicting our top ten American men. We will be back to predict the top ten American women tomorrow. In the meantime, go pick up your copy, Naomi Osaka: Her Journey to Finding Her Power and Her Voice. Ben Rothenberg, the author. The podcaster at no challenges remaining, writer, slate.com, many other platforms. Benny, it is always a pleasure to have you. I look forward to talking American women with you shortly. Thank you, Greskin. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with our dear friend, author, podcaster, Ben Rothenberg. Obviously, I'm looking forward to having him back on the show tomorrow to talk about our predictions for the top 10 American women. Also, if you haven't already, check out my conversation with Ben regarding his new book, Naomi Osaka, Her Journey to Finding Her Power and Her Voice. We break down that book at length in depth in a recent podcast conversation we have. And sincerely, if you are a tennis fan listening to this podcast, I promise you are going to love Ben's new reporting in his book. Again, even if you're not the biggest Osaka fan, I really do think it's something tennis fans have to pick up, whether it's online, at your local bookstore, wherever it is, you purchase your books. Make Naomi Osaka her journey to finding her power and her voice at the top of your reading list as we enter 2024. That said, again, we've got tennis now underway in Australia. Still plenty of fun off-season content to come as well. So as always, I will ask before we wrap this show, like rate, subscribe, review, not just this podcast, but the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible, particularly given that today, Friday, December 29th, happens to be his birthday, the happiest of birthdays to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. You might hear this on a couple of podcasts released here on Friday, but 
sincerely, I love the man. I know I would not be able to do what I do without his constant support, without his constant just everything. He's number one in my life right now. Love him very, very dearly. And so again, on behalf of all of us, I'm going to speak for you listeners as well. Happy birthday, Westoff. We love you. Give yourself a little happy birthday sound effect here to wrap today's podcast as well. With that said, for our fantastic guest Ben Rothenberg, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.